0: How's everybody doing? Good. Okay. A little morning service. Everybody's still sleeping a little bit. No, it's okay. Uh, I'm glad that I'm, we're going to try to have somebody out here posted up at six o'clock to make sure nobody comes at six. So um, you guys apparently got the message. We're meeting at eleven o'clock today. So that's kudos to you guys. So um, happy uh, Palm Sunday for you guys, Baptist and Methodist out there. Um, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, I, you know, it's it's a great um, time to celebrate. We we thought communion would be a great opportunity to to to, to kind of commemorate what we're celebrating um, leading up to the Easter, Easter week of Easter. Um, um, next week's going to be a really cool Sunday, so y'all don't, y'all don't miss that. Um, um, welcome to Connection Church um, and the, the Pooler edition. Uh, my name is Michael Page, um, and I am the campus pastor for this campus, obviously. And so um, if you're new here, I just want to give you a welcome. I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Um, if you didn't get a chance to stop by our Next Steps table, our first-time guest table, do that. We have a gift for you. We want to give you some stuff. Um, everybody likes free stuff. Don't You don't have to lie, everybody likes free stuff. Even if it's a pen, you like free stuff, I promise. Um, so anyway, we're on the fourth and this is the final week of our um, series that we're in, it's called, it's called The End of Me. And it's talking about how unless we lay our lives down for Christ and, and come to the end of ourselves, we can't fully live in the will of God. Can't do it. According to Scripture, we can't do that. And so last week, I just want to remember where we're at. Last week, we talked about Matthew 10, where Jesus was sending out the disciples two by two, and he told them not to be afraid of persecution, because persecution was coming. That if, he was, that if, if Jesus was persecuted, that they should know that they're going to be persecuted as well. They, they should just take heart and know that that's going to happen. He told them not to worry about people that could kill their flesh, but couldn't kill their souls. He shared shared with them that God is involved in the minute details of a sparrow's life, which is pretty awesome. So if if God is involved in the minute details of a sparrow's life, how much greater are we than the sparrows? We should take courage in that, take heart in that. He knows the numbers on our heads, the very very hairs on our heads that the Bible says. He cares for us so much, so much, and he'll be there with us during the trials and the persecution that will come. He was saying, "Don't fear," and then we talked about last week about how hard it is for us to see persecution sometimes in the life of a Christian in America because we live so comfortably and which we lean towards that comfort sometimes. And so, um, but I, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about that today too as well, continuing along in there. But before we start, I always love to talk about Scripture. As if you've been here a few times, I love Scripture. Scripture is very important to me, and it's very important to the life of our church. And as we open up this Bible, I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you have them. If you have a phone or your Bible, um, whatever it may be, if you as you open these up, um, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew's um, chapter 16 if you want to. Um, we're going to be in verses 13 through 24-ish, somewhere in there. Um, and so as you open your Bibles up tonight, or this morning, whether it's your phone Bible, whether it's your book, as you're holding, if you're as you're looking at these words on this page, I, I, wanna, I want to get you to think about the wisdom and the power and the glory that that resides on each and every one of these pages. Every thought written on these pages are about Jesus receiving the glory and the honor that he deserves. So this morning, I I pray that we would be able to give him the glory and the honor by correctly handling the word of God. Not taking it out of context, not not making it say what we want it to say, but reading scripture and doing what it says. Because the Christian life is simple, guys. I mean, it's really... Easy. You read the Bible, you do what it says. We're the ones that mess it up, right? We're the ones that kind of get make it complicated. Can we agree with that? I'm the one that messes it up. I'm not. guys, I don't know about that. And so we read the Bible, listen to God, and do what they, do what it says. And so Hebrews four says this. It just kind of give you a. You don't have to return there. It's Hebrews 4, 12 through thirteen. Says for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who must give account. So today, guys, my heart, my, my, my passion is that this morning, that we would hold on to what the Bible says It's truth. Like truth, there's no greater truth than this. We would hold on to that. Okay, and so that's, that's where we're at this morning. So um, let's, let's, get, let's pray real quick. Then we're we'll gonna jump into some uh, scriptures in Matthew verses chapter 16. So God, we love you. I pray that you would come and be with us, God. Speak to our hearts, God. Move in this place. God, I pray for a supernatural move of God in our hearts today, God, that you would point to things in our heart, God, that you want to change and we would just be glad to change them because God, you're God and we're not. God, I pray that you would speak to us in wisdom. God, that you would give, me, give us more wisdom, Father, to be able to follow you, to be able to carry out the will of our Father. God, that we wouldn't take the sacrifice of Jesus lightly. God, that we would um, hold on to Jesus as our precious Savior, but also as our mighty Lord. So we ask all this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to set up this passage for you, because I like doing that, because I like when people do that for me, because I'm not too smart sometimes. So, we're gonna be in Matthew 16. And basically, setting up this passage, um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. All right, right there, that's enough for me to believe Jesus is Lord. He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and all that. I mean, it's just what? 5,000 people. Jesus walks on water. Again, I'm like, okay, I'm with this guy. Um, he encounters the Canaanite woman, which is impressive if you wanna get down to the history of it, because Jesus didn't necessarily come um, at this time for the, for the Gentiles. He came for the Jews. And Okay, so she had faith. She had faith so strong that that she, that God, that she God Jesus healed her. And Jesus was impressed by her faith, it says. It moves on. Jesus feeds the 4,000. The disciples are with him. He encourages the disciples to be on guard against false teachings. He comes, and then finally they come to this region we're going to read about today. It's called Caesarea Philippi. It's basically a city that's built on the side of a the mountain. Um, They're basically 120 miles away from Jerusalem at this point. And basically this region was strongly influenced by, by false teachings, various religions. I mean, it was just a place where everything collided, all different kind of beliefs, all different kinds of of theologies and doctrines and and different false gods and, and all this stuff. And I actually have a picture of it. I'm not sure if it's there yet. But basically what it is, is this was considered in those days the gates of hell. Okay, so basically what would happen is an earthquake has been has, has kind of shifted some of the water flow, but a, water, a river would come out of that big cave and you can see some cutouts in the side of the mountain where they would put gods up there and they would worship them. They would, they would commit all kind of crazy stuff to worship their gods in those areas and they would have countless gods up there. And so basically that's the back, background of where we're at on where Jesus is about to come and, and ask his disciples one of the most important questions ever. This was the center of Baal worship. This was Herod the Great built a built a temple to himself on the side of this mountain, and one of the most uh, greatest is crazy to me. But um, the Greek god Pan, uh, the little half man half goat guy, that plays the flute. Y'all you ever seen him on TV or something? Well, they worshiped this guy because he was a fertility god, and they worshiped him by putting images of him in those sections of that rock, and they and they would carry out acts of worship to him. There would be there would be all kind of sexual acts. There would be all weird things happening. The worship basically, the worshippers believed that Pan was a fertility god, and during the winter he would go into that cave and go down into the water and he would sleep, and he would come back in the spring. And so basically they were trying to bring him out so that their crops would be refreshed and new, and they would have a good crop, they would have a good harvest. And so it's here. It's here that we see the stage, the stage set for the announcement of who Jesus was and what his plans were for the future. So let's read here in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 26. We're gonna read this together. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah and one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? We need to highlight that, circle it, and all that kind of stuff. That's a question you need to ask yourself a lot. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give give you the keys of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We've heard that verse about denying ourselves, taking Him across and following me over and over and over again for the past, past few weeks, and it's so important. So I wanna just ask, them, just kind of set the stage for us tonight. I just wanna ask some questions. Um, how many of us in here has ever experienced loss, like a loss of a loved one, loss of a pet, family pet, loss of, um, am, I, am I tracking anybody yet? Loss of it on an investment. We've experienced loss. If nobody has kudos to you who's ever had something happen to them in their life that you feel like whether or, or, or a friend that's left you with more questions than answers like why is this happening what's happening what's 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 going on right now you know what why why is my marriage why does my marriage fall fell apart why why did my plans that i that my, the life that i had planned why did it fall apart the medical diagnosis why is it still the same thing and i prayed over and over and over and over again as humans, I feel like, guys, I was reading the scripture. I was, I was noticing that as humans, sometimes we think more with our emotions than we do with our brains. We think with our, our our emotions more than we do with our brains. We end up in some pretty dark places, don't we? We end up in some pretty dark places whenever we, and it happens pretty quick, too, whenever we start thinking emotionally. I think sometimes we, 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 we the things we do don't necessarily line up with the way that we say we believe. Because it's easy when we come to church and, we, and we're able to raise our hands and worship, we're able to read scripture and have our Bible studies and, and declare Christ on Facebook and all these different things. But when crisis comes, when something that happened to us that wasn't in the cards for us, if life isn't turning out the way that we thought it was supposed to turn out, if I'm not married yet and I thought I should be married by now and have two and a half kids and a nice house, if, that, if life hasn't turned out the way that I wanted it to turn out, what's happening? It, something's wrong. That, and that is that is very inaccurate that is Satan's biggest lie to us as a culture as people sometimes the way we respond sometimes the way we respond to conflict and loss doesn't mesh with the faith we claim we have can we agree on that tonight or today I'm, it's gonna take me a while this morning this morning if you're like me guys you you like for things to go as you planned them, right? Like you like for things to go as planned. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that thing. You like for it to go just as you planned it, right? Right. Okay. We we really like it when it goes as we we whenever I planned it, it goes right. We're good. We all struggle with that varying levels of control, right? We want to. We, we have that control problem like buried deep in our hearts that 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 we just we all it's very. It's, we, I know some people that are control freaks. I'm like, hold my, and so and it goes down from there, right? And so you're don't elbow the person next to you. Wait till after church, talk to him. But like, we all suffer with those varying levels of control. We like for things to go our way, to go well, and to, for life to kind of be easy, right? If if we don't, then we're I think I feel like we're kind of lying because <laughs> I we we like for God to rain down the blessings on us. But whenever those blessings are preceded by a tough lesson, we're like, no, I don't know God. Maybe I'm fine where I'm at. I don't that lesson's kind of hard, right? And so we we like to kind of push away from the things that are hard. But what happens when God's when God's plan and your plan don't line up? What happens whenever this is my plan doesn't line up with this is God's plan? What do we, what happens? Whose agenda are we going after here? Do we we respond well? Do we respond bad? Do Do we disobey? Do we move away from God? Do we have a crisis of faith? What happens when what God wants for you in your life and what you want don't match? Do we fight with God? Do we disobey God? And that's exactly what we're talking about today. I got it right that time. Whose agenda is your life following? Is it God's or your own? And we see Peter here. This is awesome. We see Peter in scripture right here right in front of the literal gates of hell at that time. They thought that was the, that was the gates of hell. That, that was literal for them. Right in front of the gates of hell at that time, declared Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are, you are him. And then seven verses later, Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's what you call a really good day going downhill really fast, okay? See, so you talk about a really spiritual high going down to the lowest of lows for anybody's life who ever lived. If Jesus calls you Satan, you have a problem. Okay. So my point is, can you imagine if, if Peter and his wife are at dinner? He's like, "Honey, how was your how was your day?" And his wife, his and you know, Peter was like, "You know, Jesus told me that I'd be the anchor of the church, and then he told me I reminded him of Satan." So, so how do you explain that? You know, to your wife. And so, if you look at verse 23, um, it said, Jesus talks about this. Says, "You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God." but merely human concerns. And that sobered me up really quick as I was reading this week. If Jesus was to look at me and say, you're a stumbling block to my kingdom, you're a stumbling block to what I'm trying to accomplish around you, I would be devastated. And so this morning, I wanna ask like, where are we at in this? We're gonna go through this a little bit, but where are we at in this? Are we satisfied with earthly comforts while rejecting eternal gain? Are we satisfied with our plan while ignoring his? And so that's the question. And, and how, but, but, but my question for myself was, uh, you know, I was sitting there, I was like, how ignorant can I be? And I talked about this in our connector this past week. It's like, how ignorant can we be as a church, as people, even as non-believers, to, li- to live your whole lives working, saving, investing in a temporary home while forgetting to invest in our eternal home? So many times in life, we forget eternity is very long and life is very short, don't we? We forget about that because we get so invested in the now right here. We can look in First John. You don't have to turn there, just write it down. First John 2, 15 through 17, it says this. And I think it'll be on the screen if I'm not mistaken. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. That's the world system. That's the, the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, love the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh—that's anything that your flesh craves. I want this. It be it might be sexually, it might be drugs, it might be anything. The lust of the eyes. I want that truck. I want that house. I want his wife. I want this. It's 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 the I want. I want more. I want more than what I have the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride of life is, look what I've done. Look at this life that I've built. Look at my family. I have 20 grandkids, and I have an awesome house and a great retirement plan. That comes from not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And hear me when I say this. Those things that I'm naming off are not bad things, but if that's what we're living for, they're bad things. If that's what we're worshiping, they're bad things. Okay, hear that. And um, one of my favorite movies... It's a guy named Maximus Decimus Meridius. Who knows the movie? Gladiator, amen. He says, what we do in this life will echo throughout eternity. Favorite line on the movie. I jumped off the couch like, yes. And so, listen, that's, that's awesome because I'm like, preach it, son. That's, Russell Crowe is preaching a little mini sermon on the gladiator. What we do in this life will echo throughout eternity. How you live your life will determine how you live eternity, how you walk through life will determine that. And so there's three questions. I'm a three-point man. Uh, last week I was a four, kind of went over, but three points this week. You know, three questions I want you to ask yourselves for the rest of your life. Not just today. Every day you get up, I want you to ask yourselves three, these, three, these three questions. The first one, I want you to ask yourself the same thing Jesus asked Peter and his disciples. Who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus, it's, it's okay to vocally say Jesus is Lord, but if you're living like Jesus is not Lord, you might as well say Jesus is not Lord. Can we agree on that, right? If our actions don't line up with our words, yeah, okay, so. Do we worship him for who he is or do we use him for what he can get us what we can gain from him or what he can do for us? I'm not worshiping, I'm praying, and I'm in scripture, but just because of who he is, because he's the great God of heaven and he's saved me from my sins and he's greater than I and I want to worship him because he knows more than I do about life and everything else. Or I worship him saying, God, heal me, God, give me, God, show me. What is it? Where are we at on that? The, stra- the, the Listen, the strongest rebuke, rebu- I can't talk, the strongest rebuke that you'll see in scripture happens right here in these pages that we just read. And it was instigated by Peter trying to force Jesus into the mold of what he assumed the Messiah would be. Did y'all get that? Y'all Did y'all see that? He assumed the Messiah was coming to deliver them from the Romans and they were gonna take over Jerusalem and they're gonna be a bunch of awesome, just have a great time together. But his his what he was wanting was not lining up with what Jesus came for. And this is still Satan's greatest temptation to reshape Jesus to meet our expectations and our desires. That's still his greatest temptation. If you look at your life, has your view of Jesus changed throughout your life? We don't do it exactly the same way that Peter and his generation did because you know most of us don't grow up wanting a war with Rome, right, we, we, don't, we don't grow up that way usually, but all of us here have something on our agenda that we feel like Jesus should be doing that he might not be doing. And I'm gonna tell you: if you're not a Christian here, if you don't know Christ, if you never submitted your life to Christ, this is gonna sound like a bunch of Greek and Hebrew and, and Chinese, what I'm talking to you right here. But I'm gonna to talk to you for the last two minutes of this sermon and we'll get it right, okay? All of us have something that we're holding on to that that we think Jesus should be doing. And so this is the issue. This is the this is the rock bottom issue. Please, if you've if you tuned out at all, come back right now because this is the issue because most of us have grown up in, in America, I would assume, um, there may be a f- select few. Um, most of us gr- have grown up in a very me-focused culture that is full of consumerism. I want this, I want that, give me, give me, give me, which can distort Jesus into this Americanized Jesus, right? Where he's one part genie, He's one part financial advisor, and then he's one part American patriot. He's another part therapist. And he all, and we, we, we grab what we want from him to get what we want to try to make us feel better. Or we might think of Jesus as this great comforter who's progressive in his, in his thoughts and is morally permissive like we are, approving of all the things that we approve of. He's one big cosmic blanket that we can kind of curl up with. No, that's not Jesus Remember last week when we were talking about John, John's vision in Revelation 1, the lightning eyes and the fireball feet and the sword tongue? That's terrifying. That's, that's the Jesus we serve. He's the glorified embodiment of God. What we do sometimes when we have this Americanized view of Jesus is a satanic distortion, and we are deceived by it sometimes. Not always. You've got to let Jesus be who he is and worship him which means that sometimes he's going to contradict you. He's going to tell you that is wrong turn from that. That means he's going to confuse you sometimes because he's big. He's huge. He's big. He's 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 a glorious God and sometimes he's outside of our human comprehension. Because he's God. Who wants to worship a God that I can understand? No one. If you do then that's that's scary because you, you that that could be you. So listen we definitely don't rebuke Jesus. <laughs> we definitely don't do that. Or, or someone trying to tell us that Jesus, what Jesus is saying in scripture, this is, what, this is what the red letters say right here. This is the point. And there's room for interpretation and talking and, and taking this in context, yes. But we need to take scripture for what it is and live by it. Listen to it, and do what it says. And I, I gotta tell you, listen, Peter was hardcore, man. Peter was, think about just, this is what I love doing in scripture. Think about what was actually happening. Peter just out of his mouth said, You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And then he turns around and says, I I rebuke you. (laughs) He's rebuking the Son of God. That's pretty hardcore. I I don't have that many many guts in my body. Listen, Jesus is not some build a bear Jesus that, that we get to assemble the deity that we want. I like this. I like this. We'll put it together. And this, oh, this is Jesus. That's not how it works. That's not what we do when we follow Jesus. So we can't see, you know, we, we, we can see that there's there's the there's the real Jesus, the, the one and only, and then we, we have these fake ones that we make up to fit our lives that really, if you wanna get down to it, if you wanna get down to the, the brass tacks of it, it's just a, a deified reflection of us. And it's really not Jesus we're worshiping. And so if we're worshiping the Jesus of the Bible, It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That means denying myself, looking at him and saying, yes, here's my life. Here's my yes. Do with it what you want because my life is yours, Father. That's what God is after. I have a great illustration because I like to eat. Um, Who is a fan of buffet's? Got some in the back. There we go. All right, here we go. I'm not a huge fan, but it's a good illustration. Um, it's a, it's really okay. Listen, it's okay. Be honest. This is a safe place. If you like buffets, just raise your hand. Do it. Come on, hit me. Now we're talking. That's good. That's honest people. Here we go. Have you ever noticed how weird the concoctions people put together at a golden crowd line? It gets really weird. Doesn't it? Have you ever been? Who? Okay, listen. another honesty moment. Be honest right now. Seriously. Who has that husband or wife? That comes back to the table with a crazy concoction of food on their plate. It's like, how did you get a what? My wife's raising her hand. She knows. See, listen, you know, they, this is what this is what I know. That people come back with like a yogurt parfait. They got a, some spare ribs. They got a waffle, some cookies, a taco, and a small piece of fried chicken and an egg white omelet. And it's like, woo this is good. It's a combination of all of it together. And so, you know, but listen, that's, it, it's just whatever appeals to me. That's what I go up there and I get and That looks good. That looks good. I'll take that. That's gross. I don't want that. That might make me sick. That looks old. And so, you know, we get to that point where it's like, listen, I don't know what's happening, but I'm, I got what I like. I got what I want. And so listen, this is exactly the way that I feel like people, what they do with Jesus. They, they, they have this obnoxious concoction of Jesus. I like Jesus when he gives me blessings. I like Jesus whenever he he heals the sick. I like Jesus whenever he does what I want him to do. I said it a couple weeks ago, we serve serve the Savior Jesus because he's full of mercy and grace. But we ignore the Lord Jesus when he's asking us to do something that might not be comfortable for us. And so what I said then was we either accept him, we have to accept him, or just own up to it and reject him. Because if we're going after that concoction of who Jesus is, what we're doing is rejecting the Jesus of the Bible. It's what we're doing. And he is either Lord of your life and the savior of your soul, or he's not. He's either, you're either living for him and for his kingdom and his agenda, or you're not. Following Jesus is black and white. It's us that adds the gray areas. Those gray areas are the comfort zone areas. I want to follow Jesus up to this point. I want to serve Jesus until I have to go in the rain and, and park cars. I want to serve Jesus until I have to change a diaper. I want to serve Jesus until I have to give up money to help a homeless person. I have to, we put these limits on it. We have the same decision to make as the disciples did at that rock face. Jesus said in verse 15, what about you? Who do you say that I am? So, my question for you tonight, guys, is what does your life say about who you think Jesus is? What does your life say about who you think Jesus is? And that's a hard question. It's hard. And it's easy to zone out and just kind of forget it. But we have to ask ourselves these questions. What does our life say that we believe? Because it speaks. Our life preaches a message whether we believe Christ or not. Number two, this is the second one. Am I kingdom-minded? The first one, the first one was: do I, who do I say Jesus is? The second one is am I kingdom minded? Are we spending our time on earth building God's kingdom or our own? And this is a good test. This is something that I, I think about a lot. It's like, think about where you spend most of your time, your money, and your energy. And I'll tell you where you're invested the most. <clears throat> what you're invested in. Where you're invested. Do we have a kingdom? <clears throat> Do we have a kingdom mindset when it comes to our jobs, our families, our personal lives? Or is that reserved for Sundays or our connect groups or our Sunday schools or our youth groups? You can look at verse 19 of this, this, this same chapter. Jesus is saying, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. What is he saying? What is he saying? The keys that open the doors of the kingdom, the keys that let you enter in to where Jesus is, the kingdom of God. The king, basically, to, to break it down for you, the keys that open the doors of the kingdom of heaven are faithful and accurate preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what opens up the kingdom. When you preach the word to somebody, you teach somebody about scripture, you teach them about Jesus, their mind and their hearts are open and they enter into the kingdom or they reject it because that's the same question that we have to reject or accept. We, we have those two decisions to make every time we come face to face with Jesus, but somewhere, guys, along the way, we've taken our faith in Christ and drained it of its weight, of its responsibility and its conviction, and we replaced it with something that's much easier to follow and swallow, and that doesn't require much work. We talked about last week about how we how we tend to lean towards that that path of least resistance. And I have two I have two questions for the for two different people about this it's a subtitle. Sorry for you guys taking notes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. In my kingdom mind, this is the first question for the church. I'm gonna talk to the church and I'm gonna talk to the Christian. Church, big C church, us, churches down the street all over the world. I look at the trends in the church growth and attendance over the past 20 years. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to studying like stats. Love it. You know, the past 20 years in the American church and what I noticed was a lot of money, a lot of money, time and energy was spent on trying to keep people in their seats, keep people coming to church. Keep people the same people keeping you in your seats, instead of going out and reaching the lost, going after the least of these, reaching a culture for the God of the gospel, going after like it says in James after the widow and the orphan to take care of them, to love on our neighbors, to, to 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 share the gospel with people that we that are across the street from us who God puts in our path. We try to do what Aaron did while Moses was on the mountain. you know this story in Exodus. If we give the people what they want, maybe they'll stay around. Maybe they'll stick around. If we give them what they want, if we play the right song, if we have the right color carpet or right seats or right, maybe they'll stick around. That's not how it's supposed to work, guys. Our hearts and our minds should be focused on the kingdom of God and his coming. That's what it should be. In 1 Peter 6, 2 Peter, sorry, Second Peter talks about that we're supposed to, to carry out these things so that we can speed his coming. And when I read that the first time, I was like, you're telling me I have the opportunity to speed the coming of Christ? If I'm carrying out my responsibility to share the gospel, to, to make disciples, if I do that and those people are doing that, that means I'm a successful disciple maker, which means the kingdom of God comes quicker. It makes sense to me. When I read that, I was like, wow, that's awesome. We have, we have a lot of responsibility as followers of Christ. And this is what I, this is what hit me in the forehead this week. If we have to make Jesus look attractive to people to get people to come to church, something is wrong. Can we agree with that? If we have to get him to look attractive, that something's wrong. Jesus doesn't need me to dress him up and make him look attractive. He doesn't need me. Period. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's attractive. Right? When you're stuck in sin, whenever you're whenever your soul is is bound for hell, he comes down and reaches down and pulls you out and says you're a child of mine. That's attractive. Right? That's attractive. The focus of churches have, have held for too long is that, that we need to get people saved, which is true. We need to make converts, which is true. We need to quote John 3.16 and over and over and over again until people get it. But that doesn't preach the full the whole Great Commission. We've stopped at the beginning. We get people saved, and then we leave them alone. It's about discipleship. If you've never been discipled, if I'm, if I'm saying something right now that is like Greek to you, that proves my point. Discipleship was the central, central message of what Jesus wanted us to do. He says, go out and make what? Disciples. Disciples are students of the word putting our hearts in other people's hearts so they can put their heart in other people's hearts the way Jesus did the disciples. Discipleship is the next step. The church is for too long, guys. This is, is for a very long time. It's been a cruise ship instead of a aircraft carrier. Y'all thought I was gonna say something else. A cruise ship instead of an aircraft carrier. Think about that. Oh, you go on a cruise. Who's never been on a cruise? Okay, well, those people raised their hands. Without getting sick... How many people have lost weight on a cruise? One, a couple people. Good, that's good. Most people don't. You're the select few. You go on a cruise, you you get you get pampered, you get fed, you get oh man, this is awesome. We get to watch this. We get like everything given to us on an aircraft carrier. Planes go out on missions. They come back in, get refueled, get resent back out. Y'all see the point here? That's what it looks. That's what it's supposed to look. The cruise ship mentality has created a church. Full of entitled people that has drained the church of its urgency. Y'all hear that? The cruise ship mentality, the mentality that we have in our heads about churches. For me, give me this, give me, give me, give me. Is that I want to be? Give me the word, give me, give me the worship. I I didn't like that song. Give me. So it, it creates this church full of entitled people that drains the church of its urgency. Guys, Christ is coming again. He is says in Scripture. It's time for us to act like it because what I know is the greatest, what DC talks is, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's the greatest cause of atheism in the world today. It's huge. God's plan to reach the world is to send the church out to share the gospel to make disciples of all nations, not to have a weekly service where people come, get pampered and catered to, but where, where they come and get equipped for the works of the gospel and of the kingdom. Can we agree with that? Do we believe that? The second person I wanna talk to is the Christian. The Christian. Who's ever heard individually, that's what I wanna talk to, me, everybody, I'm talking to myself, Who's ever heard the the quote uh, or the saying, "The whole is greater than the sum of its parts"? Have you heard of that? It's very confusing for a guy like me who doesn't know a lot. Um, so I started thinking about this: the whole, the whole church unified together is greater than the sum of its parts, the individual parts. Can we agree with that? Like, if you, okay. So if the church is built, guys, with individual people who are faithfully following Jesus, that means just by deductive reasoning, the church would be faithfully following Jesus, right? The church would be faithfully carrying out the works of the gospel, the works of the kingdom. would be kingdom-minded. But as long, as long as we have professing Christians, professing Christians half-heartedly following Jesus, having that buffet-style Jesus, that Burger King Jesus, that bill bear Jesus, the church will be half-hearted and irrelevant when compared to what I see in Scripture, Right? That, it makes it makes sense. I mean, it, it has to be that way. Here's the hard truth that, that that someone you know shared with me is that if we're not making disciples, Michael, if you're Michael, if you're not making that's my name, if you're not making a disciple, Michael, if you're not making disciples, you're outside God's will. Period. It's biblical. It's Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Bad if you're not making a disciple this morning, if guys, if we're sitting here this morning, if I'm standing on the stage and I'm not making disciples of people, if I'm not going and talking to people about Jesus, then I'm outside of God's will and that should scare me. Because if I know who Jesus is in the scripture, if I read Revelations 1 and see who he is, that's terrifying. So the question is, why do we tell people about Jesus? What's the point? Why do we tell people about Jesus? Why do we come here and sit and gain, but don't go out and tell? We, we tell people so they can get saved, Yes, we do that, but that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of it. The main reason we go is to show people the beauty of Jesus and who he is, what he's done, and teach them to follow Jesus and do the same thing for other people. God's plan for enlarging the kingdom is so simple. Like I told you a minute ago, God's plan for enlarging the kingdom of God is so simple. One person, tell another person. Easy, right? One person, tell another person. Then tell another person. Then tell another person. Show them the way, show them the way to Christ. But the problem I think with churches and with Christians who, who, who are, and I'm not talking to every single person in this room, I know that, but I may be talking to one or two, I don't know. But what I know is I've lived my life this way where i picked and choose the Jesus, the parts of Jesus that I wanted to follow and the parts that I didn't and I ignored those. But if I'm living that way, you know, I can't, that's, that's tough. I can't call myself a effective follower of Jesus. I'm not even sure if I can call myself a follower of Jesus if I'm living in that I'm living in that place. His plan, his plan for showing people Jesus is for other people to tell people to tell people. If I don't know how to follow Jesus, I can't show them the way. So tonight, are we too busy following our own way, our own agenda? Maybe we need to quit something. Are we full of excuses? I don't know enough. I'm not good enough at that or this. I'm not good at talking to people. I'm not good at memorizing scripture or talking to people about Jesus. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Guys, these statements right here are old. They're old. If you don't know enough, here's a book. Open it up. Read it. He, he wants to show you the things of the scripture. If you're not good enough, Guess what? The Bible says we have the Holy Spirit. In 1 John it says, don't worry about the things you're going to say. Matthew says that if, if he will give us what we need to say in the time we need to say it. Depend on him. I never want to hear Jesus say the words to me that he said to Peter. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Never do I want to hear anybody hear that from Jesus either. My last question for you tonight is this, and we're about done, is am I surrendered to Jesus? My first one was, who do I say Jesus is? The second one is, am I kingdom-minded? The third one is, am I surrendered to Jesus? Verse twenty six through 24 through 26 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever does not who loses their life will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's surrender. That that's surrender. Let's surrender in a nutshell. Three points. What good is it if we gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul? I'd say that you had got, you received everything you ever wanted. Ten gazillion trillion dollars. I'm not, that's not even a number. Like all the amount of money that you can think of. All the amount of gold and silver and possessions that you want. What if you what if you just I got it? the house, the wife, the husband, the kids, the the land, whatever it may be, What, what if you got that? Say you worked really hard and you gained all that stuff, but you lost your soul, but you lost your soul. What worth would that gold and money have at that point? Zero, all of it would be substance, stuff that's just clutter. Do the decisions I make show that my life is surrendered to Christ? Ask yourselves that. Do the decisions that I make show that my life is surrendered to Christ? Evaluation questions that I ask myself all the time. Do I read the Bible and spend time with God? That's the first thing I ask. If I'm surrendered to God, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to spend time with Him. Right? Second question I ask myself. When I read the Bible, have I made changes in my life based on what I've read? Because if I don't make changes from what I'm reading means that I'm pretty arrogant before God. I got it all figured out, bro. Thank you for showing me this, but I'm doing that. Just like the rich young ruler said, what else must I do, because I've done all these things. I can promise you right now, we don't have it all together. All throughout this room, including the person behind this podium, is messed up. We got stuff that we need to work on, right? Everybody in this room. Do we make changes? What would've happened if Peter would've got what he wanted? No Jesus. That will never happen. You would, I would never let that happen. I will never fall away. I would never let you be crucified. I will fight to the death. What would have happened? Jesus would have never been crucified. There would have never been a way for salvation for Peter or us. The Holy Spirit would have never come. All those kind of, we would never be here because the church would not exist in. Our plan seems so awesome to us because we think we're pretty awesome and super intelligent, don't we? And then the moments we're making decisions, I'm pretty, pretty smart, I got it together. I'm about to make this decision, here we go. Oh, that was a mistake, <laughs> right? We've all been there, right? I, I, I mean, I hope because I would look really stupid because that's me. Um, but underlining all those plans and all those things are, are plans that are, that, 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 that are selfish sometimes and, 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 and prideful. There are many times we, where things look good, guys, this looks really good for my family. This looks really good for my wife, for my kids. This, look really, this looks good for my church. This looks good for my finances. But if, if they're not a part of God's plan for your life, they're really bad things. You know that? Anything that looks good, but it's not, any, any good thing, any good thing that's not a God thing is a bad thing. Right? Any good thing that's not a God thing is a bad thing. If you want a change in your life today, if you want forgiveness and peace and joy that you've never known before, God demands total surrender. He demands total surrender. He becomes the Lord and the ruler of your life. But the good thing is, guys, we just say he's a good father. He's good. He's good. He's gonna lead us in a way that everlasting is what he says. He's gonna bring to to himself. Don't let sin blind you. There can only be one king in your life. Is it gonna be you or will it be him? I can promise you he's a much better king. I can promise you he's a much better ruler, much better decision maker. I can promise you from experience. So where are you today? Where are we today as a church? Have we been following our own way and neglecting God's way? Every person in this room, every person on this planet has to answer the question that the disciples had to answer. Standing before the gates of hell on that hill in Caesarea Philippi, every person in this room has to answer this one question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say is? We get to reject him or we get to accept him. Don't wait for that decision. We're not promised one second of life. I've had enough of my friends pass away at the drop of a hat, thinking they had years and years and years to live. We're not promised a second. Don't wait. We can't play games with God. We can't afford to play games with, with, or procrastinate with our eternity. We can't afford it. If there are things in your life today that you need to to remove and to hand over to Jesus, guys, I plead with you with everything in my body, don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Let it go. What would you do with your life if you knew for a fact that you had 24 hours of them? Listen, your life would be different. I bet we would take our faith very seriously. Very seriously. God doesn't listen, God doesn't answer every single prayer at the timeline that we wanted to answer, does He? Sometimes we wait patience is, but one prayer I know that he always answers immediately is when the prayer of a sinful person says, God, please save me. I'm a sinner. I need saving. He answers that question. He answers that prayer immediately whenever we pray it. Every time. God, please save me. Okay? That's what I'm here for. The Bible says in Luke 15 that Jesus comes after the one. It comes after the one person that needs him, that says, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. Please, Father, Come and save me from myself. Are you the one today? Are you the one this morning? The person here who doesn't know Jesus knows they need Jesus. The person here that is living their own way knows they need to make a change. They know that in their heart. Their heart may be beating a thousand beats a second. I don't know. But up until the, the very last breath, guys, we talked about tonight, Judas, where he where Jesus offered him that piece of bread. Judas, please don't do this. Please come back. Please don't go through with this betrayal. He was offering him up to the last minute when he walked away. And, Je- and Jesus is doing that for us every time we wake up. Michael, please come. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. He's, at, he's asking that question for us, each individual in here tonight. There may be someone else here tonight or today, sorry, that you've been, you been—you may have been saved and you know Jesus. But you need to come lay down some things today. You need to lay, lay down some idols some things that you're that you're worshiping, the things that, that you may be falling all over yourself with. Saying, here is all of my heart, all of my life for you, God. No conditions. I want what you want. I may not be there yet, but I wanna be. The prayer team's gonna come and it's, they're gonna be on each side over here. If you need to turn your life over to Christ, come pray with one of them. I'll be there. Come pray with me. If you need to lay some stuff down on the altar, the altar is always open. Come do that. Come pray with someone. As we seen this last song, don't wait. Don't wait, respond. Who do you say Jesus is? Are we kingdom-minded? And are we surrendered? So God, tonight I thank you for who you are. Lord, you're a good God. You're a good father. You want good things for your children. God, I pray for the person here tonight that's far from you. I pray that you would bring them close to you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would just burden their heart, Father, with the things of, of you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that we get to do here, Father, and all we get to worship, all we get to, to spend time together, Father, just in, in unified worshiping of the Father. We love you, Father. I pray that you would just come to a mighty work here, Father, in Jesus' name.